I remember seeing a movie where it was uh, a woman had gotten struck by an automobile crossing the road, and and she calls for a Catholic priest to come and and save her soul, and he says a few words over her. And as I watched that, I thought, well, that's the world's concept of salvation right there. It is deathbed repentance. It is the sinner's prayer. I mean, where at in the Bible did Jesus say, live your life for yourself, and then when you're old and ugly and you're about to die, uh, get you some religion, get yourself saved? Where Where did Jesus say that at? Now, I know the thief on the cross, yes, uh, but that was the exception. We have built a religion around the one exception. I mean, salvation is like, let me give you an analogy here. It's it's like you're in the doctor's, you know, you've got tubes running out of your body. The doctor looks at you and says, you've got, you know, a week to live. And some minister comes by and says, how would you like to live forever? Well, who would say no? Who who would say, well, no, I don't, I don't want to live forever? You know, my point is, salvation has come to a point where it's nothing more than mere acceptance. There is no change. There is no morality. There is no obedience. There is no transformation, transforming one's life into the image of God. There's none of that. It's just mere acceptance. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. How do you get to be a saint? Now, if you look up that word, it means physically pure, morally blameless. So, I mean, how do we get to be a saint? I mean, I can remember when I was first baptized thinking, you know, I had some issues in my life. I had some sins in my life, uh, certain addictions and things that had got a hold of me. And I remember thinking, okay, because I am baptized, because I've had hands laid on me for the receiving of the Holy Spirit, now I have the Spirit of God. And it was a wonderful feeling to have that. But I remember thinking, okay, I will, from this day forward, I will not, you know, succumb to this temptation. I will not fall to this temptation. I will be able to live, you know, pretty much sin free. Well, boy, was I deceived. I mean, you know, the day, the first day of your baptism is only the beginning process of salvation, really, when you think about it. Now, there is a verse in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. It says, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we get an idea here of just what a saint is. It's uh, unblameable, holiness is some of the words that are used here. But my question is, how in the world do we ever get there? Well, when you're baptized, you go down in the waters of baptism. Baptism is for, you know, it's, it's, you are, you're convicted of sin. You realize you are a sinner and that you need, in other words, the law of God, your conviction of the law of God has caused you to realize I am a sinner and I need to be saved from my sin. So you go down in the waters of baptism, and and the reason you're doing this is because you want the added power of the Spirit of God in your life. 
you understand that there is no way to achieve freedom unless you have the Holy Spirit of God. And so you come up out of the waters of baptism, a minister lays his hand on your head and asks God to give you a portion of the Spirit of God. Now, at that moment, if your heart is sincere and if you are truly, you know, sincere about the whole issue, and only God knows that, because at that moment, God knows the heart and he can choose to give you his spirit or he can choose not to. Ultimately, it is up to God whether he gives us his spirit. But if your heart is right, a, you receive at that moment a portion of the spirit of God. It's, like, it's what I like to call God's spiritual DNA that you receive. God's spirit unites with your spirit. And at that moment, uh you begin a process called building, you know, a new creature in Christ. At that moment is what I call when you enter the salvation process room. Let me repeat that. At that moment, you enter the salvation process room. Now, there are all kinds of arguments about, well, can you lose your salvation? You know, I sometimes think that people that argue about this, they don't really understand what salvation is. Now, I agree you can't lose something that you never had. I'm under the conviction that most Christians don't have to worry about losing their salvation because they have never entered the salvation process room. Well, what is the salvation process room? Well, it is just that. It is a process. So many people look at salvation as a magical thing, as if God waves a magic wand over you like a magician or something, and all of a sudden, presto, changeo, you're a completely different man. You are, at that moment, a new creature in Christ. And they don't realize that, no, the day of your baptism, when you received the Spirit of God, was day one. And for the next 20 or 30 years, or until the day that you die, you will be in the salvation process room. Now, this should not surprise us when we think about it. You think about the conversion process of the disciples. I mean, here were these men that the Holy Spirit was working with, and you had one man named Peter who who, said, who promised. He said, "Look, I will never deny you. I will go. I will die for you." And all the disciples that night fled and left Jesus alone. But later, after being in the room for a long time, that is the salvation process room. They all died for Christ except John. Now think about think about what a transformation that was. I mean, here they were scattering like so many cockroaches on the night that Christ was betrayed, and they all had made you know their promises. You know, oh, well, I will I will stick with you, Christ. But what is the difference? What is the difference between a new Christian and later in life after you've been in that room, that salvation process room? Well, it's a it's called conversion. There's a real change that takes place. And like I said, all of these men gave their lives for Christ except uh, John, the apostle. Now, the question I'm asking you is not, are you religious? Are you posting a bunch of religious, religious stuff on Facebook? Uh, are you faithfully going to church? That's not what I'm asking you. Do you love Jesus? Uh, do you wear a cross around your neck? Uh, do you daily read your Bible? I'm not asking you these questions. The question I want to ask you is this. Have you accepted the fact 
that in order to be really saved, you must enter and endure the salvation process room. You know, mainstream Christianity's teaching would have you believe that salvation is the easiest thing you will ever do. It's easier than going to college. It's easier than holding down a job. It's easier than finding a mate, a husband, or a wife. It's the easiest thing in the world you could do. Now, obviously, we have to understand this is a false teaching about the concept of salvation. In Matthew 24 and verse 13, Jesus said, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. What are we to endure as Christians? Well, how about this? The salvation process room. You got to stay in that room. Once you are called, you have to stay in that room. You have to endure that room that can be painful, that involves correction. You have to stay in that room until the day you die. Acts 14 and verse 22, it says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Notice this, encouraging them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Notice that. Through much tribulation, we are to enter the kingdom of God. What is this tribulation? Do you know? Well, it's, it's, it is the enduring of the salvation process room. You know, you hear people say, well, I'm saved, sanctified, and justified. And from that point, they never give it a second thought until the day they die. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how people view salvation. They don't think about it once they made their big decision. It never crosses their mind. Now, what I'm talking about is a lifetime journey of transformation. How does God get what he wants from you. How does he do it? I mean, obviously, God is not has no intention of spending eternity with a pack of losers or a pack of rebels. Now, we know this. I mean, consciously, we know, okay, God's not going to spend eternity with a pack of losers. God's not going to spend eternity with a bunch of porn addicts. Now, why would I mention that? Well, because I heard a statistic recently that said 50% of Christian men are addicted to some type of pornography. So is God going to spend eternity with porn addicts in heaven, in the kingdom? I don't think so. So this, this salvation process room is something that we have to go through all of our lives. In other words, between here and when you kick the bucket, Something has to be done about these issues that we struggle with, these sins that we struggle with. And it can only be done through God's grace. Overcoming can only be done through by the power of God's grace. But speaking of that subject of overcoming, Revelation 2 and verse 7 says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, that little word overcometh, overcoming there, it means winner. In other words, you are to be a winner instead of a loser. Now, I don't care if that, you know, the concept, you know, if you're a loser, you're not going to be there. If that hurts your self-esteem, then that's too bad. But this is what the Bible is saying, that in this room called the salvation process room, we are to be winners. We're to come out of that room at the end of our life as a winner, not a loser. Revelation 2 and verse 11, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. 
And this second death, you know, that's serious matter there because the second death is means there is no further future resurrection. It is the end of you, the second death. No, I'm not talking about burning for all eternity in a lake of fire. That's not what your Bible teaches. But it basically, the, destruct, the destruction is it is the end of you. You cease to exist as a person anymore. That's what the second death is. Revelation 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh, again, to the winners, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Who is God speaking to? Who is Christ speaking to? He's speaking, and what is the emphasis here? It is to the winners, not the losers, the winners. Revelation 21 and verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Notice that. He's going to be my son to the winners. Revelation 3 and verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now, this is critical to understand. Christ himself had to overcome. Christ himself had to be a winner. There were choices that he had to make. He could be a loser or he could be a winner. And so what I'm saying is God doesn't require something of us that he himself has not already endured. It's not as though though Christ doesn't know what this process is all about. He himself had to overcome. So he's not asking us something from us that is impossible for us to do. Now understand, the salvation process room is overseen and managed by the Father and the Son. All of it is a work of grace. Let's notice Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, most, most preachers will stop right there. They will not continue the rest of this verse. But I'm going to continue the rest of this scripture in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, again, they, they, they don't tell you that next verse. They, they don't want you to be aware of the room. Most of us have been sold a counterfeit grace, as if we could bypass the room and still get the same benefits. Listen, God doesn't give a flip about just granting people eternal life. That's not what it's about. C.S. Lewis said this, and I quote, he said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. God is creating human beings over into his image and likeness. Now, you know, the Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, and be not conformed to this world. And that's a, a fascinating statement. I mean, what do you mean, be not conformed? to this world. I mean, how can you help it? I mean, the world has a great impact upon us. I mean, spiritually, physically, I mean, it's the the temptations that are out there are incredible. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God says, "Now look, I, I don't want you to be to be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you think differently now. You don't think like you used to think 
where you gave in to every carnal desire that was out there, every temptation of the flesh. You don't, you don't think, you don't have the same mind that you had before. It says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you know, I think when we think about, okay, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what does it do once you receive it? Well, the Spirit of God, I mean, it, it, it cleanses, it cleanses, it purifies, it makes new, it transforms, it it makes one at one with God to be at one with God, which is a a fascinating study in it, in and of itself to be made at one with God. And also the Spirit says in the book of Hebrews, it says, I'm going to write my laws into their hearts and to their minds. So part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to write God's laws into our hearts and mind. Is that what you're hearing at church? Well, chances are it's not. It's not what you're hearing. Probably you're hearing that the law has been abolished, it's been nailed to the cross, it's been fulfilled. Jesus did away with it, and and we're saved by grace. That's probably what you're hearing. You're not hearing about the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. You're just not hearing about it. Now, in Galatians 4 and verse 19, we're talking about, okay, what is actually going on in the real Christian's life as far as transformation is concerned? What really is going on? Well, Galatians 4 and verse 19 says, My little children in whom I travail in birth again until Christ, until, notice this, Christ be formed in you. Wow, what does that mean? Until Christ, Jesus Christ, his example, his character be formed in you. When does this take place? Does it take place, you know, Later, does it take place, you know, when, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we become saints? Well, notice it says, until Christ be formed in you. There is a new creature in Christ that that started to develop. When you receive the Spirit of God at baptism, the process began on that day. There is a new creature in Christ forming inside of you. And it's gradual, and it's not overnight, and it takes time, and it takes correction, and it takes work. Yes, the very thing that most Christians despise. Yes, it takes work. The the Holy Spirit is working in your life until Christ be formed in you. Now, you know, you think about this. Right at the get-go, at the foundational account of Genesis, God says, let us create man in our image and in our likeness what does that mean that that god had a plan to create man in his image and also in his likeness that is so powerful creatures god is creating that are going to be transformed into beings like god really when you think about it and i really think we've been sold a counterfeit you know, idea here about heavenly retirement, that everything you go through in this life is for the purpose of nothing more than retiring. I mean, it doesn't even make sense when you think about it. No, when you really grasp what God is doing through his spirit, that he's creating beings like himself, you really begin to realize, man, this is powerful. Romans 8 and verse 29 says this. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. Now, I have found that the concept of predestination is greatly, grossly misunderstood. It's as if we don't have a say in it. But let me explain predestination. It's like a train track that would go from Virginia to California. Maybe there's an Amtrak that does that. I'm not for sure. But the tracks are predestined. I mean, they've been laid down. They will get you from Virginia to California. But you're on this train. And at any given time, because you were created free with a free moral agency, you can choose right from wrong. You can raise your hand up, and when the bus, when the train stops at a station, you can say, "I'm getting off this this train. I, I don't like this this uh, I don't like this salvational you know this 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 uh, salvation room process. I don't like it anymore. I'm I'm getting off this train. You know, all the tracks are predestined to go where it says it's going to go. God has determined to predestine you into the kingdom of God, to predestine you into children of God. That is determined by God. But you still have your free moral agency to deal with. You can make choices. Why would we negate that concept? Why why would we think we can't make choices? When right at the get-go, it was clearly a choice, as Adam and Eve made the wrong choice, But why would we excuse ourselves from any choices as if we can't make any choice? So, yes, predestination is determined, but you are a free, you're free to choose. This verse concludes in Romans 8 and verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there is one thing, now this is an encouraging verse, but there is one thing that can separate you. Do you know what that is? It's you. It's the man or woman in the mirror. When you walk away from the, and you close the door to the salvation room, process room, it, that's, that's something you can do. That's a decision that you can make. Now, why would we do this? Why would we do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe it gets too tough. Jesus Jesus did warn to count the cost before you even start out down this road. You better count the cost. But what I'm saying is I just think we've been sold a bunch of lies when it comes to salvation. We what we've been sold, sold is the lie that salvation is the easiest thing you will ever do. I remember seeing a movie where it was uh, a woman had gotten struck by an automobile crossing the road and and she calls for a Catholic priest to come and and save her soul and he says a few words over her and as i watched that i thought well that's the world's concept of salvation right there it is deathbed repentance it is the sinner's prayer i mean where at in the bible did jesus say live your life for yourself and then when you're old and ugly and you're about to die uh get you some religion get yourself saved where at and where did jesus say that at now, I know the thief on the cross, yes, uh, but that was the exception. We have built a religion around the one exception. I mean, salvation is like, l- let me give you an analogy here. It's, it's like you're in the doctor's, you know, you, you've got tubes running out of your body. The doctor looks at you and says, you've got, you know, a week to live. And some minister comes by and says, how would you like to live forever? Well, who would say no? Who, who would say, well, no, I don't, I don't want to live forever? You know, my point is, salvation has come to a point where it's nothing more than mere acceptance. 
There is no change. There is no morality. There is no obedience. There is no transformation, transforming one's life into the image of God. There's none of that. It's just mere acceptance. Okay, so what is real salvation? Well, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 that reveals to us this process called the salvation process room. It says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, the reality is this, the outward man, your body gets old, it gets ugly, and we die. And it's one of the things, one of the benefits of getting old, if you can look at it like this, you know, they talk about the golden years. I'm not, I'm not sure what's so golden about, you know, getting old or anything like that. But one of the positive benefits of getting old is this. It's what I call the dying will. That thing, you know, your willpower, your will, it can be used for good, but it's also we have often perverted our desires and our will has gotten us into a lot of trouble uh, with certain uh, uh, sins, certain addictions, certain things that we, certain roads that we travel down. Well, the one of the positive benefits about getting old is that your will begins to weaken in these areas. It's what I call the dying will. And that can work to your benefit in this salvation process room of creating a new creature in Christ. But notice notice what else is going on. It says, though the outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That new creature in Christ, this is something that's going on daily. This is not a one-time experience. This is not a one-time event. This is a lifetime event, this salvation process room. Now, some people might say, well, show me in the Bible where it talks about the salvation process room. Well, you got to understand something. You will never know this room exists. The biggest proof of understanding that this room exists is when you're in it. If you're not converted, if you don't have the Spirit of God, if you think salvation was a decision that you made long ago and your parents drug you off to church and talked you into being baptized and giving your heart to the Lord, you know, you you will never know about this room. The only way you can prove that this room exists is to be in the room. When you're in the room, the salvation process room, you know it exists because you are experiencing it. You are enduring it. So <clears throat> the salvation process room. It's a, it's, it started the day that you were baptized, and it ends the day that you die. God is creating saints, and this is how he accomplishes this process of creating children, saints, over into his image and after his likeness. Well, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? And we'll talk next time. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.